0: So it's January, and I would be remiss if I didn't address dry January, particularly because I am dry this January. In fact, I have been for months, and I'm excited to share with you the how and the why.
1: Welcome back to Health Bite, my podcast where I offer you small, actionable bites towards healthy weight and weight management through greater mental, emotional, and physical well-being. I wholeheartedly believe that our relationship with food is a window into our relationship with ourselves. Understanding this relationship will not only facilitate healthy weight and weight management, but will have rippling effects that impact every aspect of your life. In the nearly two decades that I've worked as an obesity medicine specialist, I have seen firsthand the life-changing effects of this transformative work. And I'm so excited to share my insights with you. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Udib, and I created this podcast as an alternative to the noise to offer you knowledge based guidance in the areas of nutrition, fitness, habit change, and mindset that I use with my patients in my medical practice every single day to help them achieve healthy weight and health. More episodes are available at dradrianudib.comslash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter and shoot me an email. I'd love to hear about your journey. Okay, here we go. Let's dig in to this week's episode. I feel compelled to discuss
0: the topic of alcohol as a physician, as a mental health advocate, and as a weight loss expert. And as someone who, quite frankly, like many doctors and for many years, did the health benefits of alcohol. I have lectured about it. I have taught other doctors about it. I have counseled my patients on it. And I feel like I have to rectify that and say I was wrong to promote alcohol or wine as a healthy choice without offering a balanced approach to the harms. Now, before you shut me off, Hear me out, because I think this conversation is going to be valuable. To be fair, us docs were really not educated. Nowhere in medical school or in my training did I uncover the knowledge that I'm about to share with you. And it was not until I really dove into the data myself when I was researching for my book, Hungry for More, that I learned much of this. And I know it sounds prude to say, stop drinking, and that's not even what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is be knowledgeable and then be curious. Often what gets in the way of that curiosity is how we define our relationship with alcohol. Either we consider ourselves or others as sophisticated drinkers that can handle it, that can use it in a sophisticated way, or our minds go to the other end of the spectrum, which we often define as being an alcoholic, neither of which lends itself to curiosity, because if you're sophisticated, well, why would you wanna change that? And if you are not, and you contemplate that you have, quote, a problem, then you must be an alcoholic. And truthfully, that doesn't fit for most people. So let's start with this. You don't have to be an alcoholic and you don't even have to have an alcohol problem to be curious. Maybe it would help if I share how it began for me. So a few months ago, I was having a moment with myself, as I often do, reviewing my personal goals, my professional goals. And I thought to myself, I wonder what I can do to level up. How can I do better for myself personally and professionally? And to be fair, my sophisticated wine drinking had become more frequent during the pandemic. And I also found that I wasn't reacting to it in the same way that I had. I noticed that it started to have an effect on my sleep. It started to have an effect on my mood and on my ability to bounce out of bed like I was used to. And since I was doing the other things like exercising regularly, getting good food, writing, even meditating once in a while, this seemed like the next level up thing to do. So I did an experiment. I did an experiment to see what would happen if I just press pause on alcohol. Now it's been several months, and I have to say that I'm really surprised by the outcome. The first has been in my sleep. It is well known that alcohol affects sleep. Habitual consumers may notice that while they feel sleepy at first, they may wake up in the middle of the night, on the nights that they drink. And some people won't even experience the awakening, but they'll notice that maybe they don't feel as rested as they should. And there's a reason for that. So alcohol, as we know, is a depressant. In the short term, it stimulates the same receptors in the brain as Xanax or Ativan, a class of drugs we call benzodiazepines that we use to treat anxiety and will therefore bring about a sense of ease in that immediate moment. But the brain does not like feeling chemically sleepy. In fact, it considers this as a threat and it will counter that threat by also releasing neurotransmitters or chemicals in the brain that are stimulatory to counteract the sedation. And that's why several hours later, one will experience wakefulness. And if you don't actually wake up, you're still impacted because those stimulatory neurotransmitters literally yank you out of REM sleep. The result being that you're not fully rested when you wake up. Now, interestingly, this effect of alcohol can linger for days. In fact, it can linger up to a week. So even if you're not a nightly drinker, you're going to experience this negative consequence of alcohol interfering with REM sleep up to one week after that drink. Impaired sleep does not only make you feel cranky and also impact your focus and productivity, but it has negative metabolic effects in it of itself, like insulin resistance and obesity and to long-term cognitive effects like dementia, which I'm going to talk about later. So alcohol in short is just not good for our sleep and With time and repeated kind of insult, it can have negative long-term downstream effects. This takes me to the second benefit I sensed when I hit pause, which was a positive impact on my mood. Now, we talk about the sedating effect of alcohol and the fact that it can bring about a sense of ease which may surprise you then that alcohol can actually have a negative impact on our mood. So yes, it does bring about a sense of ease in the moment. However, we once again can't ignore the other side of this coin, which is that alcohol is a depressant and ultimately will depress one's mood. So it's a spectrum, right? And at one end of the spectrum may be feeling loosey-goosey and at ease, but that is one step in the spectrum of, of really being sedated, which also impacts mood, meaning it also causes depression. Moreover, those stimulatory neurotransmitters that we talked about also have the effect of causing anxiety again, they are stimulatory. And overstimulation at the level of the brain is not something that is perceived beneficial in the body, something that is obvious in the term anxiety. Have you ever heard of anxiety? It's that hangover slash anxiety feeling that people may feel the morning after. Well, with regular alcohol use, those stimulatory neurotransmitters get upregulated, which means that they don't wait for you to drink alcohol and then get sedated and then release the neurotransmitters, but they just are automatically on all the time, resulting in this overall feeling of overstimulation, anxiety, and dis-ease. Now, I've shared with you the data on prior podcasts regarding the incredible rise of anxiety in our society, as well as the significant increase in alcohol use and alcohol use disorder since before the pandemic. And I am convinced that these two statistics are not independent from one another. The third is the ability to be with difficult emotions. Let's face it, we seem to be inundated with an explosion of difficult circumstances these days that result in difficult emotions. No, we are not back to normal. And maybe we're realizing that normal was bogus anyway. We have also, at the same time, become accustomed to being gratified. Not only do we have the normal offenders, like food, alcohol, some people smoke to gratify us or to soothe the things that we can reach for temporarily to soothe the discomfort. But we also have Netflix, which means that we don't have to bear the discomfort of commercials or patiently wait uh, one week for another episode or God forbid, wait a few months for a new season. We can be gratified in minutes. We have Amazon. So we don't need to make time to go to the store or go to the mall and visit store by store for what we're looking for. We can search the internet and find what we need in minutes and have it delivered in hours. Now, don't get me wrong, this is convenient and I take advantage of it just like you. But it has a downside, and that is that we have become accustomed to getting what we want instantly. We have become accustomed to getting gratified instantly. And we have become accustomed to not having to deal with those emotions like boredom, anticipation, these normal human emotions that are necessary that we no longer have to deal with. And therefore, we've become more intolerant of them. Of course, people use alcohol to soothe significantly more painful emotions, sadness, trauma, and deep wounds and emotions. But I don't want one to think that if they're blessed enough not to be in this camp of experiencing deep wounds and trauma, that they're still not soothing. Garden variety emotions like boredom, listlessness, are uncomfortable. And when we decide to pour a glass of wine instead of twiddling our thumbs after dinner or to manage that uncomfortable small talk that happens at the beginning of a social gathering, we are using a substance to soothe. The beauty, though, of not doing this is that when you are forced to sit with your emotions, when you're forced to sit with uncomfortable emotions and acknowledge that you can be with these emotions and not crack, when you realize this, you're better able to experience the whole range of human emotion, the uncomfortable and the comfortable, the dark and the beautiful. And I know this sounds kind of cliche-ish and I imagine some of you are rolling your eyes at me right now. I would be rolling my eyes at me right now, but it's true that there is a beauty in the ability to tolerate what's difficult and what's unpleasant. And it also highlights what is beautiful. It allows us to open our eyes to the full range and spectrum of human emotions.
1: Hi, friends, it's Dr. Adrian, and I'm dropping into your podcast to offer a love letter to you. I believe that our hunger represents our unmet emotional and spiritual needs. And by leaning in and listening to our hunger, we have an opportunity to hear our needs and to respond. I know this not only from personal experience, but from listening to the stories of hundreds, if not thousands of patients over the past almost 20 years. I have compiled these stories, including my own, into Hungry for More, Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. This book is not just about weight loss, but about life and contains lessons that I know to be life-changing. If you don't believe me, head over to my website at dradrianudim.com where you can obtain a free sample or to amazon.com and check out the reviews for yourself. Now, let's look at
0: what we know about the health effects of alcohol, because I know you have heard about the benefits of wine on the heart, the antioxidants, resveratrol. Again, I know it all. I have lectured on the Mediterranean diet to my colleagues for years. But there is also an abundance of data that shows that alcohol use even in moderation, is not completely benign. In fact, alcohol consumption increases the risk of several cancers, including breast cancer, colon cancer, head and neck cancers, including esophageal cancer. Of course, it impacts the liver. Excessive consumption can result in not only cir- cirrhosis, but also liver cancer. And you may be thinking, well, those are people who drink in excess. And I agree with you. But this one fact is surprising, which is that studies have shown that even one drink per night increases the risk of breast cancer by 15%. And the risk is dose dependent, meaning that with every additional drink, there's an additional risk of breast cancer. But again, that risk goes up with even one drink. There are some reasons or possible reasons for this association between um, alcohol and breast cancer. It may include weight gain, in addition to the fact that alcohol increases estrogen and other hormones that are associated in the pathogenesis of breast cancer, and in that way can be contributory. But the link is certainly there and has been shown in numerous medical studies. Here's a funny, not so funny aside which is, notice the bottles that pop up for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I think that happens in October, with pink ribbons. The proceeds of the very thing that can cause breast cancer goes to supporting breast cancer research. Just a funny note, right? So alcohol is associated with cancer. It is also associated with an increased risk of pancreatitis, liver disease, and cardiomyopathy of the heart. And last but not least, and this is really an important one for me and my family, for me personally, given my family history, is the link between alcohol consumption, and the effects on the brain. We already discussed the effect of alcohol on REM sleep, achieving REM is not only important for restful sleep, but it's also where we consolidate memories and information. When REM is disrupted, our ability to learn is disrupted. Our ability to keep and maintain information and memories is also disrupted. And in this way, alcohol impairs learning and cognition. In fact, studies have shown that alcohol affects our ability to acquire new information and to process this information deeply, which is probably where the memory issues arise. Alcohol also slows down the rate of processing, making it harder for us to focus and to learn. So we know that when we are buzzed, we're not as able to be quick in our decision making. That is why alcohol impairs our ability to drive safely. But what stems from that is, is other ways in which we are unable to process information quickly which then turns into a negative impact on our our focus and our ability to learn overall but here's the doozy for me which is the long term effect on the brain alcohol increases the risk of long term memory and it's been linked to dementia and to specifically to alzheimer's disease now we have long known that long term and excessive alcohol consumption results in dementia. And perhaps that's not surprising, right? Excessive use results in negative effects on the brain. But studies are starting to pop up linking even modest drinking to cognitive impairments. For example, one study revealed that an average glass of wine drinks the overall volume of the brain, just one. Individuals who drank A six-ounce glass of wine per day over the course of one month had older-looking brains. Their brains appeared two years older on imaging than those who drank less than half of a beer or three ounces of wine. So really significant brain changes noted within the month. The brains of people who reported drinking three units of alcohol a day had reductions in their white matter and gray matter of their brain that was equivalent to three and a half years of brain aging. One unit. And by the way, a typical serving of common alcoholic beverages may contain anywhere from one to three units of alcohol. I mean, what? And I'm thinking to myself, girl, I spent way too much time on this brain sitting in classes and in school to go down like that. I mean, right. So where do we go with all of this? And even as I say this, I am hearing myself in my own head. What is this? Like, the prohibitionist times and i'm not saying that that's the case i'm not saying don't drink ever again i don't know what this stint of mine uh will last or how long it will last i mean my birthday is coming up and wouldn't i love a champagne toast with my besties yes but i will say this i no longer take it for granted I think to myself, do I really want the negative consequences of this momentarily fun thing? And for now, my answer has been no. I also think that we're experiencing a cultural shift in our relationship with alcohol. It has not been easy these past few months. I have found myself time and time again being the only person in the room without a wine glass in my hand. But I also notice a shift the increasing amount of non-alcoholic options and mocktails, the sober curious, the dry January and sober October, the drumming up of millennials who don't want to have the same relationship with alcohol that their parents did. There is a change happening. And I am convinced that Maybe decades, it may take decades, but down the line, we're going to start thinking about alcohol in a very different way, much like the shift that we experienced with smoking. Remember that not too long ago, we were smoking in bars, airplanes, and even in medical school classrooms. So here's my suggestion. Even if there is a small part of you that is curious, Lean into that curiosity. Consider going without for a month, for a few months, and just be open to what may come. Who knows where it may take you? Thank you so much for joining me this week on Health Bite. I will be talking more about this topic next week with Colleen Ryan-Hensley. She's a Navy veteran, an advocate for mental health, and an expert in mental toughness. It'll be really interesting to hear what she has to say and what her take is. Head over to our show notes and sign up for the podcast on my website so you will be the first to know when the next episode drops. And would you be a doll and write us a five-star review? If you love Health Bite? and I know many of you do, thank you for your emails. Please take the time to do a review online. It would mean a lot to me personally. Okay, have a great week and see you right here next week on Health Bite. Bye now.